It is my absolute pleasure to welcome poet Caroline Shea to this uh, first Friday poetry for January. Great to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. You have just put out your first book. It's called Lamb Flesh. Uh, it's really, really fabulous. And so first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm, it's still new and fresh, but I'm really excited to have it out there. Yeah, it's been really fun as I've seen it kind of launch into the world to see how exciting it is for you to see it launch into the world, too. I'm glad. I'm glad that my uh, unbridled excitement <laughs> entertains someone else because I, I can't help it. So, <laughs> will you uh, before we talk about the book itself? Will you talk a little bit about how it came to be? How did yeah. you decide you were ready to to start putting a manuscript out there? Well, a few years ago uh, was probably the first time I had compiled a manuscript, and it didn't really have a lot in common with this one, but it had some maybe a few poems in common. And I sent it out a few times, uh, got a few rejections, and just ultimately decided I wanted to write more and revise more before submitting a manuscript again anyway. And Were so, you still working on an undergrad degree at that point? Yes, or, okay. that was, I was still in undergrad. And so I, I wrote a lot more. There were a few writing workshops I went to that were just really generative for me in terms of getting more material and revising what I had. And then I guess this past summer I decided to, I had kind of done a total overhaul and revised everything and added new stuff. And I had a manuscript that most importantly was long enough because a lot of places have pretty strict page limits. Um, so I, I had enough and I felt like it was a complete project. It felt like its own thing. So I decided to start sending it out again. And I got a few more encouraging rejections this time. So I was kind of like, okay, maybe I'm on the right track. So. For people who haven't <laughs> sent things out before, will you say talk about what an encouraging rejection is? Because yeah. to, to a late person, that still sounds okay. <laughs> kind of awful. Um, a lot of places, if if they're getting a huge volume of submissions, can't really give you, you know, a personal note along with your rejection. It'll just be, you know, thank you for sending it in, blah, blah, blah. Like, we had to pass this time. But there was, I think there was one prize I sent to where they just said, you know, oh, like, one of our judges really liked it. We wanted you to know that at least multiple people had voted for it or whatever. And they shared, like, some of the comments that the uh, readers had had with me. So that was really cool to just see that, you know, people were responding to it and yeah. um, getting something from it. So it's an incredibly physical book. Um, I, I noticed the first time I read it feeling reactions physically to the descriptions in the book. It is a book that doesn't shy away from the body at all. It's really in a way that I haven't read a lot of stuff recently that made me physically react in the way this book did uh, and it feels like it's hyper aware of the physicality of the speaker in the poems at least in many of the cases yeah definitely i think that's partly just a side effect of being me i am hyper aware of my physicality for a lot of reasons but i think it's also something that has become a major interest in my poetry just exploring how not only gender but chronic pain and I mean our bodies shape so much of how we move through the world and how we see things and it's kind of impossible for me to separate myself from my body even when I would like to maybe 
So I, I guess that I'm glad it does come through that way in the work, because that's definitely something I'm interested in exploring in my writing. Will you read a poem for us? Sure, definitely. Unmaking. A confession. Some days pain struck me giddy. Bright spear, beautiful uselessness. Its logic unutterable, viscous. No words I know say the hotness, the entirety of it. You know last year I went half mad, grazing smoke dazed from one day to the next. Little bee. The blood baying at the seat of the spine, fevering me heavy, animal unmade. The pelts of wolves reaped silver for longer than I'll likely live. We'd all like to leave a corpse worth something. Once a cat left a furred husk at my feet and I mistook it for a toy, the tiny ghost. All this to say the body separated into pieces becomes meat. When adopting a pet, they ask, have you ever abandoned an animal? Have you ever had an animal lost or stolen? I'm jealous of the way animals live in the body, each motion patterned and parceled out, a unity I once grieved my lack of. I am more wonder than fear these days, but still partly girl, in love with the bright jewel of the sky, unable to fit words to what I want. The cat's eyes cut like bulbs through the dark. Some things, then, are perfectly designed. It makes you crave a god to believe in. When I ached, I was inscribed. A story told enough times becomes scripture. Now I am careful what I worship. Your grandmother says over Thanksgiving, we are called to repair what we can of the world. Tikkun olam. The words, the faith, not mine, but a credo I can cling to. To live each day is dangerous, is sweet. Wine souring in the cheek. I no longer believe my body will be saved. This poem, I think like uh, several places in the book, touches at least some on rituals we perform almost irrespective of our belief in them and things we some things we cling to because we feel obligated to. And I feel like there are places in this book where you're kind of tackling this idea of what you actually find convincing and believable and useful versus the things that at one point just seemed like either comforting or mandatory ritual. Yeah, definitely. I've always found, I guess, ritual and routine to a certain extent to be meaningful in a lot of ways. And whether that meaning is innate or just the meaning kind of accrues through the repetition of it is a different question, I think. And I think something can be meaningful simply because it does give you comfort, even if it's not has, if it doesn't have this huge, you know, I guess more spiritual meaning to it. And, but I think the other thing in terms of ritual is kind of the rituals or the habits that we pick up because at the time they serve a purpose, but they're not necessarily good for us and they're not necessarily in our best interest, but it was 
a way to cope at the time. And something somebody told me once that was really helpful, how I think about mental health and just how I think about how we can cope with things is that even if some kind of coping mechanism or habit you picked up was self-destructive or bad or not the right way to deal with something, you were doing it for a reason. There was a reason you were. That doesn't mean you ha- you're tied to it. That doesn't mean that's your fate or your stuck. But it wasn't just reasonless. There, we We do things for a lot of reasons. And it may have brought comfort at one point, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the way you relate to your body or relate to the world for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think we often feel that once we start doing something, we have to keep doing it. And sometimes you kind of need someone to say, you know, you don't have to keep doing that, right? I, you know, I know that that is true in my own life, that there are things, things I have taken on that were useful and then have shed when they no longer became useful. But the shedding them is way, way more difficult than taking them on, for sure. Yeah, and I think part of that is also that because there might have been a comfort or a meaning accrued there to whatever the ritual or the habit was, it's shedding it feels like denying whatever emotion prompted it, which is really hard, I think. And I think it's hard to... One thing I've really struggled with is like acknowledging emotions that are unhelpful or that aren't necessarily based in reality, but actually acknowledging them and not ignoring and repressing them because at times acknowledging them feels like giving them validation. Like, oh, this, you know, negative thought I have about myself is right because I'm listening or trying to understand it. But it's actually much more helpful to go into it with, I guess, a spirit of curiosity, I guess, and just be like, well, why do I think this? Why am I doing this? And not just try and shut shut it down immediately, which I think was my instinct for a long time. And I think is a lot of people's instincts because it's not that fun or comfortable to sit with your bad thoughts. So <laughs> yes, that is very true. Will you, uh, will you read another poem for us? Yeah. Unhooked. They made a playground game of it. The stretch and snap of bra straps striking skin, sweet music of our spandexed flesh singing. One doe for me, caught only a fist of cotton shirt, confused, then snickers. Me, the runt they crowed over, a body with nothing worth claiming. This revelation of my lack stung more, the taut sheet of my torso so publicly assessed. Tadpole me shivered shame in the locker room the next day, a tissue-thin bralette hooked over flatness. I snuck glances at the other girls, cocooned in matching sets, wondering who the hearts drawn on our asses were for. To clothe the risk of a budding body in cartoon and fruit of the loom, or to give us some choice in how we were viewed, as each pubescent form arced away from the years where safety was presumed. Later, when a boy I'd known since sandboxes asked me to be his, I could think only of his anger, the time he threw a desk across the room and was missing from our ranks for several days. I scrubbed away my stolen eyeshadow, gold streaking in bright fissures down my cheeks. I learned then to unravel the blood-bright skein of me, to slip my skin like silk, leaving the self in dark clots across the floor. 
This is not about blame, but memory. The way some birds will mimic the call of another, will learn to milk the usefulness of desire, becoming for a moment something else. I'm really glad you chose that poem, which is one of the ones I would have asked you to read had you not chosen it, because I think it points to something that, first of all, I give the universal caveat that not every poem that is in the first person is about the poet. But in any case, whether or not this is actually you speaking as you, it is an incredibly vulnerable poem and a kind of vulnerability and strength at the same time that I think is especially noteworthy in your very first book. Like this is kind of you, I, I know you've been you know, published in many places and other people have read your work, but this is kind of you sending out into the world this, this statement about where you are, at least as a writer at this moment, if not as a human. And all throughout this book, I just kept thinking that there's just so, it's so exposed. Like it's just, it's kind of fearless, which is really impressive. But lots of people who know you are going to read this book too. And that to me, when I know when I write, I often think like, okay, I want to be really honest. And at the same time, I want to protect myself. And so I wanted to ask you about that equation between honesty and, and protection. Yeah, that's always a difficult equation to balance, I think. And it's something I do worry about a lot. It's hard because you want to both respect anyone you're writing about. You want to, you know, not trespass or appropriate stories that aren't yours. But you also want to tell what happened and write about what happened. And I think that's part of it. And then there's also sort of more what you were talking about is just the fear of being vulnerable and so exposed. And that was very real with this book. There's a lot in here that I guess took me a long time to be able to write about. While there are poems in the book that were previously published, there are quite a few that I hadn't publicly really shared with anyone beyond, you know, a writing workshop or friends and stuff like that. So that was scary. And I think it, I don't know, it's, I guess it scares me because I think so much about the way other people perceive me and, and you know, and I, it's like, it's weird because I'm more comfortable thinking about like a complete stranger reading these like very personal <laughs> things about me. And, you know, I can get up at an open mic where I don't know anyone and be like, oh, I can read this poem about my surgery or <laughs> any number of personal things. And it's harder for me to think about someone close to me reading it, I guess, because that feels more fraught and it feels like these aren't necessarily things that, you know, I want to sit down and have a chat about with everyone <laughs> I know. And writing a book sometimes feels like you're it's an invitation and it is to a certain extent, you know, I'm putting this out into the world and if people have questions or want to talk about it, I want them to be able to ask me, but there's a part of me that just wishes I could be like, no, you can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and just let it stand on its own. And I hope it does to some extent, but yeah, I think there's always going to be that voice in the back of my head when I'm writing like, oh my God, can I share this? How can I share this? And I think it honestly just came to a point where it felt more imperative that I put it out in the world. Like that that felt like a m bigger driving force than the fear of putting it out in the world at a certain point. 
and it felt like I had I just had to write what I had to write and I think I kind of tried to stop myself from doing that for a while and that didn't really work that well so I think feeling that you had to write what you had to write is how you know that you're writing what matters yeah I hope so and I I think it was funny to me that you said um you felt like this was such a physical book and the body was so present because I was getting really frustrated with myself for a time because I felt like I kept writing all these body poems. I was like, why is, I'm so sick of this. Like I, I want to write about something else. And I was kind of complaining to a mentor about it. And she was just like, she, she laughed at me a bit, not unkindly, but she was like, you just, you kind of have to write into the obsession. There's no point in like, denying it or repressing it and I guess I was worried I was going to get repetitive or boring or something but every day you go out and live your life you're occurring some more perspective more details more images and you know not you're not going to be writing the same poem today as you're writing the next day um, even if ostensibly you're writing about similar subject material and I think it helped too to just think about writers I admire and think about how they have themes that, you know, obsess them or dominate their work. And that doesn't make me think of their work as lesser or think of them as lesser as writers. It's part of what I think draws me to it is that interest in sort of interrogating a theme until you can't anymore. Um, I mean, that's certainly borne out in this book, for example, by the way you approach writing about surgery and medical procedures which occur you know throughout the book and the idea of examining the you know the opening of the body and the the repairing or the tinkering with the physical matter of your life i mean that that just happens over and over again in the book but not only is it not boring to me it almost felt like a I will tell you, quite honestly at one point in this book despite the fact that i know you are a alive and b pretty okay. I kept thinking as I was reading this, boy, I hope this person turns out okay. <laughs> and it's almost like like a narrative where you're like, man, I hope this main character doesn't die like part way through this book or something because this so far is really fraught a lot of the way through, which I think is A, a mark of great writing, but also a, a sign that, yes, it, maybe you're writing into the obsession, but it is, for us as readers, I think it's it's gripping because we all have our own obsessions and our own fears and our own things that dominate our perception of the world around us. And to watch someone just tackle that and take that trip with them is it's feels liberating when you get to the end of it. Yeah. I think everyone, no matter what their experience has, will have some moments in their life where they're confronted with the fact that we don't control our bodies completely. And that's a scary thing and it's it definitely makes you I guess contemplate like how much of my body is myself how much of myself is separate from that and how can I you know how can I main is that a boundary I need to maintain even and that was something I think I thought a lot about from a pretty young age I had my first surgery when I was eight or not, or I think eight, but, um, so it was something that kind of was this like ever present worry for me as a child, because there was sort of the knowledge that there were probably going to be more, um, operations. And 
so the fact that it recurs throughout the manuscript is partly just a literal um, reoccurrence. Um, but I think it's it was also something that I constantly was litigating mentally. Even when it wasn't happening, it was almost more present for me because it was the it was the anticipation of it almost that at times was worse than just confronting the actual experience of it. And then I think, you know, these were necessary operations that, you know, I needed for my health and my safety. But there was also just this sort of not rational feeling, but this very real feeling of like, oh, like, I don't always get to control what happens to my body. I don't, it it felt very much like I was at war with my body um, for a long time. And that manifested in a lot of ways, but I think it it made me sort of very careless with myself for a long time because it just felt like, well, this isn't me. This is just my container <laughs> um, that felt like I, I kind of had to divorce myself from it because if I let myself feel how connected I was to my body, it it was scarier. It, it hurt more to think about. So, yeah. Um, Will you read another poem for us? Yeah. This is, of course, a surgery poem. I guess a, a post-surgery poem. Uh, this is called Post-Surgical Ode. Suddenly then, unburdened, the muscles do not know the way of ease. Sometimes fixing means taking something out. And sometimes it means putting something in. The scar, the same bright slash either way. I stew under skin, bones bump and shift. No more the nervy shriek of shoulder, the taut warm knots of tendon. These have loosened into pools of light, languid, then storming towards new shapes. I stretch and flex, let dust settle in the cracks of me blossom into poses long untouched the body a neglected toy turned velveteen i lounge i stumble i arc inside me a menagerie zoo of lung and stubborn tissue what was planted there by blue gloved hands sprouting then sprouted later scrubbed clean and stripped of screws i relearn each fret of spine press a finger to the seam They stitched me up nice and new. What is it to look in the mirror, turning and turning, and think, finally, I could live here. Yes, I live here. This slip of skin, this jungle gym, still off kilter, sore with aftermath and echo, this body always a negotiation, but mine and uninterrupted, and unspooling, the tender garden of my ribs in bloom. I reap the harvest daily. My body is a bounty. I've paid. Today I burst each seed beneath my tongue, even the sting of chapped flesh something holy. I think of men in movies and their beloved beat-up cars, the goofy grin as they slap the hood, laugh. She gets me where I'm going. Oh, you old girl, you unthanked junk. You have taken me everywhere I have asked you to go.
My guest for this January edition of uh, First Friday Poetry here on A Brief Chat has been Caroline Shea. Her new book is called Lamb Flesh. It's her debut. It's on Kelsey Books, and I will put a link to the publisher's website and to Caroline's website in the show notes of this episode so that you can go and get your own copy, which you absolutely should. It's just a, a wonderful book. It's been so great to talk to you. I'm really glad you did this, and congratulations again. Thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to you, Jason. Thank <laughs> you.